Let's read together the word of the Lord, chapter 33. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 20. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, then Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. The servants drew near, and they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all of this company that I met? Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please, accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that, an, that the nursing flocks and herds are, uh, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant. And I will lead on slowly at the pace of livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, he named, therefore the name of that place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And the God at his blessing 
to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, just to give you some translation things, Sukkoth means booths or tents. Um, it's not the same word as tent, like we think. Uh, it means booths as in like fenced off areas uh, with some maybe thatched roof type things, gazebo type things in it. Um, the name El Elohi, Israel. We stop there on purpose because that name is God, the God who strives, Jacob's God, God, the God who strives. If you want a full interpretation of the name, it's God, the one, the one God of Jacob's, the Elohim means of his God, God, his God who wrestles with him. That's what that kind of interpret interpretation means. So, Genesis 33, Jacob has had this wrestling experience with God at night, and his entire plan shifts. I want you to notice that everything changed. Before he wrestled with God, remember where his kids were. Behind him, across the Jabbok River, they were not coming. He was going to stay where he was and wait for Esau to get to him, because he knew If I see Esau go to this camp over here or this camp over here, I can make a break for the other one. Make a break for the other one, get them, get my kids and go. He knew that. Plans completely changed and everything is altered. All because he encountered God at night when he wanted to take a nap. He wanted to go to sleep. In his stress, God shows up, wrestles with him and renames him knocking his hip out of joint so that for the rest of his life he's going to walk with a limp. So, Jacob, now, changed man, looks up and sees Esau coming with 400 men. Remember the plan. The plan was, I'm going to watch which way he goes and I'm going to go the opposite direction and then run. That was the plan. Now, he does something completely different. He sees him coming. He goes and gets his wives and kids, puts them behind him, all of them, puts them behind him, and he walks in front. This is a very different plan. This is a very different plan. Now remember, Jacob has always been a deceiver. This is his character. His very name, ankle grabber supplanter, one who takes the place of other people. This is Jacob. He's a deceiver. He's always been one. We have walked with him through multiple chapters and watched him do it. We've watched it get done to him. He is a deceiver by nature. Esau has always been a man of war. He has always been a hunter. So he's got an army. He has been a man's man his whole life. And he's one of those guys at age 13 that men were like, I want him on my team for the game. When you, you remember when you were 13 and you were picking teams to play whatever sport it was? I mean, kickball, whatever. And, I mean, do, do people still do that now? <laughs> right? Yeah. You still play sports occasionally, pick up games, right? No. <laughs> the one, the teenagers in the room are like, no, uh, I don't, video games. So, you're picking your team, I don't know, you're picking your team for Fortnite, whatever, I don't know. Um, <laughs> And you've got, you've got the biggest guy 
on the, like the guy that looks like he's 20 and he's 12. He's got a mustache in first grade. That guy, you know, he's failed four times. No one knows how old he really is. That guy's on my team, right? That's Esau. He's the one you want on your team because he's bigger, stronger, meaner, tougher than everybody else. He's got 400 men with him and they're coming to meet Jacob. And Jacob has done this thing where he sent a gift, droves of them, one after the other, straight at Esau's face. And Esau keeps running into them and then he keeps coming and he keeps coming and he keeps coming. Jacob is now no longer a deceiver but he has not yet figured out who he is. I want to be clear that he has not yet figured out who he is. This is a great analogy for us because as Christians, you are changed in an instant. When you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are changed in a moment. And yet the rest of your life, you will learn what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live like one. The rest of your life, you will learn how to be Christian. And it will be a great, long, wonderful, incredible journey. So, this is where we are. Jacob, Jacob here lifts his eyes. This is a formula in the Old Testament for when people see God, by the way. This, I lifted my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. Right? This is, I lift my eyes and I saw God. David lifted his eyes and saw the Lord. Joshua lifts his eyes and sees the Lord. Moses lifts his eyes. This is, this is standard uh, language for one who lifts his eyes from his present circumstance and sees the Lord. Now, what's weird about this one is Jacob lifts his eyes from his present circumstance, and sees Esau, the object of his strife, the one that he is afraid of, or the one that he was afraid of. He lifts up his eyes and sees Esau. And i got to imagine, after wrestling with God the night before, it just doesn't seem quite as intimidating. After being in struggle with God the night before, all of a sudden... Esau is somebody different than he thought he was. And Jacob lifts his eyes and sees Esau. And then he orders his things. He orders his, his wives by order of affection. Servants first with their children. Leah second with her children. And then Rachel and Joseph. Rachel with her child. Last of all. So he orders his children by affection here, and then he walks out in front of them. Look at what he does. He leaves himself no room for escape. This is a first. This is a change in character. He goes out in front, and he bows down seven times here in verse 7. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So he bows seven times before Esau. Now the bowing down is a, is a weird thing. It doesn't make sense in our culture. But you need to understand that when uh, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, when they went to see Pharaoh, this was common practice. You bowed down in front of Pharaoh multiple times as you walked into the room. 
We still have these weird traditions. I want you to know that. If you go in to meet the, ki- the queen king of England, queen of England, if you go in to meet her or one of the princes, you walk in a court ceremony, you walk in, you stand, you speak to them, and then you walk out backwards. You are not allowed to turn your back on them until you have reached the door. Same weird tradition, right? But what it does is it says to them, you are the Lord, I am the servant. So what Jacob is doing here, walking in front of his family, bowing down to him, is saying, you are the big brother. You are the Lord. I am the servant. Just for a moment, remember, Jacob is the legal Lord. Jacob holds the birthright. Jacob holds the blessing. Legally, those 400 men belong to Jacob. And Jacob bows down seven times saying, keep it, keep it. Keep it. Oh, what a change. What a change. Material wealth suddenly doesn't mean anything. I don't want your treasures, Esau. I don't want your birthright. I didn't come back to take everything. So in this very act, Jacob comes out a different man limping before Esau. He finally has a limp. There's an old saying, never trust a man without a limp. In other words, experience matters. And if somebody has never gone through something rough or never been broken, highly likely they still need to be broken. This is a proverbial statement, meaning it's a general maxim. It's not always true. But this is a great one. When you find a man with a limp, a man who has been broken by God, this is a man who has moved past the need to rule everybody else. So Jacob comes before Esau, bowing seven times, sending this message, and he is a new man. He is different. Puts his family behind him. He stands in the gap for his family. Breaking himself for his family. He stands in the middle, ready to take the brunt of Esau's anger and force, if need be. He stands before his family. Now, men of God, listen. Jacob does not get along with his wives. He doesn't. They're not pleasing. They are frustrating to him. We have seen it in multiple chapters. There's one wife that he lusts after that drives him nuts. The one that he likes the most drives him crazy and sells him for some fruit to his other wife. How ridiculous is it? This is, this is the state he finds himself in. Listen, your standing in the gap for your wife has nothing to do with her character and everything to do with whether or not you know God. Do you know Jesus? If you do, you stand in the gap for your wife. You stand in the gap for her. 
You walk in front of her. You take the brunt of the force. You take the stress on yourself. This is what it means to be a man of God. So it means to be a man of God. He puts his family behind him. He walks in front. He bows humbly before Esau. And he takes, he takes on the shame and the humiliation of surrendering the birthright that he once stole. That's what he's doing. I don't need it. I don't, I don't want it anymore. I stole it from you. You can have it back. You're the older brother. I'm bowing before you. All my deceit. And lies, I'm going to trust the Lord now to provide that promise. I'm not going to do it myself. So he comes. Jacob has seen the face of God. And his fear of Esau is now trumped by his fear of God. He sees Esau. Esau, uh, in contrast, there's this Hebrew vav here, which is like a uh, contrasting statement. It says, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a dramatic confrontation with somebody that you were at odds with for years. I have. You were at odds with for years and you knew that this confrontation was going to go one way or the other. That it was going to be really, really bad or everything was going to be overlooked. So you go to that person and you think this is going to be a drastic, dramatic, fist fight confrontation and both of you show up and you're contrite and in the moment you are overwhelmed with affection for each other. And you know the feeling, right? It's that nervous feeling. Your arms feel like jello. You can't get a full breath. Anxiety just rises in you. You feel like your hair is going to fall out. There's that weird tingly feeling like you just Use some sort of chemical shampoo that's killing your hair, right? It's that weird feeling like your whole body tenses and you just, you just nervous and you're shaky and, and you go before them and, and you're worried and they come in and they give you a hug and you're trying to hold it together and you just break. That's the picture that we have. Jacob is nervous. He's, he's got, just imagine, he's got his, arms are like jello. He has surrendered himself to this man and whatever happens, he's all of a sudden trusting in a higher power to lead him. All Out of nowhere. This is the first time in his life that he's gone, alright Lord, you gotta do it. And he walks and just like jello, Esau runs and hugs him and they just break. Can you imagine the scene? This has been 20 years in the making. 20 years of resentment and worry and fear. Not a word has passed between the two of them except for these gifts that Jacob sent the day before. Not a word has, has happened. And Jacob sees this army and his brother runs out to meet him and grabs him and hugs him and kisses him and they weep together. Very different than the way they parted. Do you remember the way they parted? Jacob stole the birthright, stole the blessing, and then as Esau enters, Jacob exits and runs. It's been 20 years since that moment. 20 years. 
Esau runs to him and kisses him and hugs him. This is incredible. 20 years of distance. And God has restored some kind of affection between these two. Now I want you to understand, he restored this affection in two ways. One, he uses Jacob's craftiness to his advantage. God uses Jacob's craftiness to restore him. Jacob sends this stuff ahead, makes this plan to escape, and God uses Jacob's craftiness to soften Esau towards Jacob. And then Jacob, after wrestling with God, walks in front and comes surrendering to Esau, and God uses that transparent honesty to restore their relationship. Isn't it great to know that God, because Jacob was being wicked, isn't it great to know that God will even use your wickedness for His glory? Now, I can't say that without quoting Romans 6. Should we go on sinning all the more that grace may abound? No. By no means. Don't you know that you have died to sin? You've been buried with him in baptism. Likewise, you've been buried into his death. The old man is dead. You're changed. I have to say that. It's required by law. Uh, preacher, law. Um. So, Esau comes and meets him, and these two kingdoms meet together. God has used Jacob's wickedness and now uses Jacob's honest, honesty and transparency to soften Esau, and they hug and they embrace, and now we have the negotiation. Well, first we have the introduction, then we have the negotiation. And so Esau meets the kids. Twenty years have gone by. He doesn't know anything about his brother. He doesn't know why Jacob's limping. He doesn't know how many wives Jacob has. Now remember, Esau has two. Because he kept trying to get his parents' approval. He married one woman, and his parents hated her. And he was like, well, I'll try another one. And he tried another one, and his parents hated her too. And they made life miserable for their parents. Right? So Esau... Uh, has two wives, he's got a whole nation now, he's living in Seir, he's this, he's kind of a king. 400 men, and he comes out to meet Jacob. Jacob has all these flocks and herds and servants, two kings meeting in the middle of the road, and they hug and they embrace, and Esau, after 20 years, lifts up his eyes. Look at that, verse 5, and Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, and he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, these are children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near. They and their children bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel drew near and bowed down. So here, Jacob brings his entire family and they all bow down to Esau. Notice Jacob's language. Notice his language in the encounter. Esau goes, who are these? Like, oh, introduce me to my nieces and nephews. Let me meet the kids. Hey, kids, I'm your Uncle Esau. Everybody gets a chocolate bar. Right? Like, this is, this is the attitude. Right? When I was little and I used to go see my uncle, that's what it would be. It would be, hey, John, come give me a hug. Now, I just want to be fair. I always, as a child, felt very awkward meeting my uncle. Again, I mean, we saw him once a year. 
but his kids were older. They were uh, late teens when I was in elementary school, and, and we didn't connect. My cousins and I are not close, and my uncle and I uh, ought to be closer than we are, and we're not that close. Uh, we, don't, we don't despise each other, but we just don't spend a lot of time together. So we, I would come and meet him, and that's how it felt. It felt like, hey, meet your Uncle Esau. Come give me a hug, and you'd do this thing, you know? Walk up and you lean in like Dad's making me, you know, <laughs> and get a hug. And that's that's what's going on here. Esau is excited to see his brother's kids and oh, tell me about life. Let's catch up. And Jacob is awkwardly like, all right, everybody, come meet your uncle Esau. He wanted to kill me when I was young. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like that's that's they know the story. Like it's. This is, they know, they saw their dad's anxiety, like trust me, my kids see my anxiety before I get on an airplane, I can only imagine what their anxiety, what their, what his kids saw with him like arranging the camp and avoiding putting everybody together, like I can only imagine, so they know, they're like, is he going to eat us? Lean in, get a hug, back away slowly, do I bow more? You know, it's just this awkward situation. Esau meets the children And look at Jacob's language, though. In verse 5, Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Notice, he does not identify God as he has before. Do you remember how he's always said it before? God, the God of our father Isaac, the God of Abraham. Now he leaves that off and he says, God has given your servant these children. This isn't because of my birthright. This isn't because of my blessing from Isaac. This is what God has done. This is a changed man. All of a sudden, this is his God. God has given these children to me. Notice that he never says, your brother. He's not calling himself equal with Esau at all. He is laying himself at Esau's mercy. There is so much to learn about how to handle yourself in the world from Jacob's life here, that we don't have time to go into it. Suffice it to say this one thing, the exception to say this one thing, that we surrender ourselves and our honor, and our respect, and our power, and our prestige to the mercy of other people for the sake of God's glory. We surrender ourselves to the mercy of other people for the sake of God's glory. Because God shows Himself mighty in our weakness and humility. God shows Himself mighty in our weakness and humility. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jacob is surrendering himself, going... Esau, do with me what you want. Do what you want. So Esau then, in verse 8, starts to make a bargain. And they start bargaining about each other. And first, it's about the gift. What do you do? What do you mean by this camp I have seen? Notice, Esau sees one camp. What do you mean by this camp I have seen? Esau sees one camp. You remember last chapter? How many camps did Jacob see? Two. Esau goes, you're one camp. 
no longer the, the author of Hebrews, the, the guy that wrote this down, is using language like this on purpose. By the way, the author of Hebrews is named Moses, just in case you're wondering who wrote it down. He writes it down. Good? Everybody? Nod? Yeah? Good? Okay. We take that. It's what it says in Deuteronomy. I wrote these down. That's what this is. So he wrote down, and he uses the word camp here on purpose, referring backwards. Right? Jacob saw two camps. Now, after his encounter with God, he is one camp. And whose camp is it? It's not Jacob's. It's not Esau's. It's God's camp. Jacob has given God the credit. These are God's kids. God has blessed me. God has brought me here. This is all God's stuff. I don't own any of it, Esau. If you want to try to take it, you're taking it from him. Not from me. He can give it back. He's God. Esau sees one camp. He says, what do you mean by this camp that I have seen here? Um, that, that I have met? This, this company. It's, we translated company. This camp that I have met. And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of of my Lord. So Jacob honestly responds to Esau going, I sent that so that you wouldn't kill me. I sent it to find favor in your sight that you would not destroy me. Honest answer. I sent it to find favor in sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So the first thing Jacob sent all these gifts, and it's one camp. He's sending it from one camp. Imagine the confusion if you think that your brother is returning to take all that you have. Imagine the confusion on Esau's part. If you think that your brother is returning to take everything you have, and you see him and his flocks and herds and servants all coming, and you go, we're going to get him, and we're going to stop him. He doesn't get to what? This is a gift? What do you mean this is a gift? All right, well, we'll take that one. All right, everybody, get to your places. Here comes another drove. I bet you he's in it. Let's get ready. What, another gift? More sheep? I guess we're eating sheep tonight. What? More sheep? Camels? What? All right, everybody, get your places. 400 men, we're ready. Let's get ready. Surely the army comes next. Here it comes, and there's more sheep. This guy doesn't know how to fight a war, right? Imagine the confusion as you get gift after gift after gift, and they say, these are from Jacob, servant to my Lord Esau, as a gift. Imagine the confusion. And by the time the gifts have all come by, God has taken that time to wrestle with Jacob, break him down, and change him. And Jacob comes, and Esau sees him, and he goes... He doesn't even have an army. There's not even men. Like, he doesn't even have servants walking. He's bowing down. No wonder Esau ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. If you murdered a guy that was coming to, to be your servant, I mean, you'd be a pretty lousy leader. Your 400 men might start a coup. He has no other option. He has no other choice. What do you mean by this camp? Just imagine the confusion. You think your brother is returning to claim all your stuff and he instead gives you a ton more. 
Esau says he does not need it. He says, I have enough. He says, I have enough. Esau says, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Now, this is a an action of pride. Sometimes pride keeps us from taking gifts. This is not a good thing. Esau is not showing himself great. Esau is saying, in effect, in ancient Near Eastern language, I don't want your gift. If you're going to be my servant, then you're going to come with me. I'm going to get everything. I'm going to lord over you. That's what he's saying in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Jacob is buying his way out of Esau's service. That's what's going on here. This is, again, a weird legal thing that's happening. And Jacob is subverting all of Esau's authority by saying, if you want it, take it. Take it all. I am surrendered to God. I don't need anything else. Take it. And he's open-handed. I throw myself at your mercy. Esau, being a relatively decent leader, says, no, I don't need it. I don't need it. Only come with me to see her. Just come with me and live as one of my people. That way I'll have dominion. Jacob says, please take the gift. Please take the gift. He has to argue with him and insist. And Esau is still loaded with pride and anger. Esau said, I have enough, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, this is the legal language. If I've found favor, if I've got approval in your sight, then accept this present from my hand. Accept this from my hand. This is a legal agreement. If you're not going to slaughter me, take this gift. That's what Jacob is doing. And then he responds to tell him why he is going this route instead of trying to claim it himself. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now, there's some interesting language going on here. I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, which, by the way, I saw last night. Seeing your face like seeing the face of God. I lifted up my eyes and I saw Esau coming. He saw this as a divine encounter. That's one. He recognized the divine encounter in an everyday happenstance meeting. Planned everyday happenstance meeting, but still. In a soon-to-be violent repercussion, he saw the face of God. He looks up and he sees Esau. He sees God's working in this. He saw God last night. And then when he sees Esau, he says, I have seen your face. I see you. I know you. And it's like seeing the face of God. In other words, I was terrified that I was going to have to fight with you, but I did that last night. I don't have to fight with you now. Indeed, Christian, you don't have to fight with the world now. You don't. We already won. The Holy Spirit is so much more powerful than the world. And He lives in you. You don't have to fight with them anymore. We wrestle with God. You should wrestle with God. You should struggle with God. That's who God is. He delights in it. So He says, I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. The same encounter, the same emotions I had with you, I had with Him last night. 
I have seen his face and you have accepted me. And in that statement, what he is saying is God accepted me. Just as you are about to. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting when somebody tells you what you're going to do and how frustrating that is. Um, when somebody says, you're going to do X, Y, Z. But that's what Jacob does here. I see your face. It's like seeing the face of God and you have now accepted me. Esau goes, I guess I have to now. Right? This is great wordplay. Again, we don't have time to get into all the wordplay that Jacob does, but this is part of great negotiation tactic here. You have accepted me. And he says, please accept my blessing that is brought to you. And why is it brought? Because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. He looks at Esau, the one whom he stole the blessing from. The one whom he stole the birthright from. And he says, I don't need the birthright. You're the older brother. I'm going to bow down in front of you seven times to prove it. I'm going to call myself your servant. And then he says, accept my blessing to you from God. Finally, Jacob gets it. He is blessed by God to bless the world. Remember the blessing of Abraham. By your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Jacob finally gets it. I am blessed by God not to hoard and keep it for myself and be king over all things, but to hand it off and bless those around me. Finally, he starts using the language of God appropriately. Take the blessing, Esau. It's from God. He graciously gave it to me. He gave it to me. Now I pour it out to you. As Christians, God has poured love into our hearts that we would pour it out to everyone, especially people who drive us crazy. Especially people who are wicked. That we would pour out love, especially on people who want to destroy us. Jacob here exemplifies it for us. And he says, thus he urged him and Esau took it. Jacob has to argue with Esau to get him to take the blessing, accept the blessing Esau. And he finally does. And Jacob then gets, so he's got the blessing restored. He's got the birthright in the right order now. And he is surrendered to God and trusting the Lord. He gave away a ton of his stuff and now he's in the land and now he has to be free of Esau's rule. So that he can follow God. He can follow God alone. He's got to be free of Esau's rule. So now, he now has to argue with Esau about going his own way. Let's look at this together. So he's got blessing, birthright, corrected. He's the servant now. He's humbled before Esau. He's given Esau the blessing from God. God has now been proclaimed as Jacob's God. And then Esau said in verse 12, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are care to me. If they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant 
then I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, at the pace of my children, until I come to my Lord at Seir. At Seir. So, Jacob looks at Esau and says, Look, your life is not compatible with mine. You're a hunter. You have 400 men. You guys move fast. He said, We take months to go places. We are not compatible. I'm a shepherd. We're not compatible. You go on ahead. I'll show up when I want to. That's, he's saying that very politely. You go on ahead. I'll show up when I want to. I'm going to go slowly. I'm going to take care of my flocks and my people. I'm going to go ahead. Now, I want you to put yourself in Jacob's position. Jacob has now uh, freed himself of any legal obligation to Esau. Esau has no legal right to kill Jacob now. He's accepted a gift from him, and Jacob has restored the position to Esau of older brother. So he's got no legal right to kill him. He did it in front of 400 witnesses, by the way. Everybody's seen it. So now Esau uh, tells him, why don't you come with me, come with me, and we'll drive, we'll get to Seir, and we'll have a big party, and we'll live in Seir together, and I'll be the king, and you can be, I don't know, that guy. Lives next door. What do you say? Jacob goes, no. Very politely. There's an old saying that uh, Frederick the Wise said to the Pope when the Pope, or said about the Pope, when the Pope demanded that Martin Luther be given over to uh, him for Inquisition. Frederick, who was the ruling monarch of his area, said no, but the way he said no was to give the Pope uh, I think 800, the equivalent of something like $100,000. Sent him this mass's gift and thanked him for complimenting his theology professor. And the lawyer who took the gift asked him why he did that. And he said, sometimes when you are approached by someone of great power who has malicious intention, the only way to say no is to say no in such a way that they think you are saying yes. So he sends these, this gift to the Pope, and the Pope leaves him alone, at least for a little while. I don't know if you know the story, but Martin Luther doesn't end up being left alone for good, and Frederick the Wise doesn't end up being left alone for good, but he does kidnap Martin Luther and save his life, and um, is probably the reason that we have the Protestant Reformation. That's all fun. We can talk about that at lunch. So the... Esau here says, come with me, let's journey together. And Jacob says, no, I can't, all my sheep will die. A shepherd's life does not mesh with a hunter. Apply that, please. The Christian life does not mesh with the life of the world. The life of the world is go, 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 get what you want, get what you can, take it, win it, win it, go, 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 destroy your enemy. Christian's life is not that way. A Christian's life is lived in surrender to the Lord. We follow the Lord. And sometimes the Lord tells you not to take the things that might be benefit for you. So he says, our lives are not compatible. And then he says, I'll come at my own pace. And then Esau says it again. Okay, let me leave some men with you who are with me. But Jacob said, "Why? what is the need? What's the need? Now, just... So you're aware of what's going on here. Esau is trying to keep track of Jacob. I want you in my camp. 
That's what Esau is doing. You have one camp that you have sent to me. I want you in my camp. I want you here. And Esau says, okay, I'm going to leave some men with you, and they're going to go with you, and they're going to keep you, and they're going to keep track of you. And Esau, Jacob says, why? What's the need? So when somebody tries to manipulate you or tries to rule over you, first thing to remember, be direct and ask an honest question. What's your real motivation for this, Esau? And Esau quickly backs up, right? What's the need? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. You said I found favor. Let me find favor. Verse 16. So Esau returned that day and went on his way to Seir. To Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that place is called Sukkoth. Jacob politely declines Esau. There will come times, dear brother and sister, when you cannot intertwine your life with the world. There will come times when you cannot intertwine your life with the world, and you will have to politely decline. That's what Jacob does here. This is standard, by the way, standard ancient Near Eastern and even modern Near Eastern negotiation. This is stereotypical. You will see this in a flea market in Israel. This same kind of attitude. Same kind of, why don't you go on ahead and I'll catch up with you later. Why don't you go on ahead and I'll show up later. I'll come later. That's a polite way of saying no in their culture. In our culture, it's called lying. But in their culture, they knew this means no, I'm not coming. In our culture, it's a lie. Don't do it in our culture. You don't get an excuse to lie just because Jacob does it in the Bible. Jacob says, this is, I'll come along on my own pace, Esau. I'll come along on my own. Esau then goes ahead. And Jacob comes safely, verse 18, Jacob comes safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way to Padan Aram, and he camped, note the word camped, he camped before the city. He's got a camp. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the land, the piece of land which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and he called it El Elohi Israel. Jacob finally gets his name right. God has encountered Jacob, has changed his name, and finally Jacob lives trying to live in that name. Finally, we've waited for him. And he says, this is going to be the place where God wrestles with me. And I am his. Now, Jesus Christ has done the wrestling. He has grabbed our souls and fought with us. And He has given us limps that make us better. He has done the wrestling, and indeed, we have only to follow. Assuming you have repented from sin and believed on Christ Jesus as Savior, then you have only to follow to walk humbly and to follow the Lord. 
So Jacob here starts becoming Israel. He's not there yet. We're going to see two more stories. He's not there. He's nowhere near becoming the Israel God wants him to be. Indeed, all through the Old Testament, we're waiting for Israel to become Israel. We are still waiting, by the way. The book of Revelation talks about us waiting for them to become Israel. Good grief, God is patient. He is patient and long-suffering and loving. And if he is so patient with them, how much more patient has he been with you? How much more patient has he been with you that he has walked with you and intertwined his life with you and has redeemed and rescued you? This is the point of the story that God has wrestled with Jacob and made him his own. And Jacob is now going to learn what that means for the rest of his life. Indeed, his people that come from him, the nation and people of Israel, are learning it still, who God is. And we have been recipients of the blessing of Abraham and that Jesus Christ, the offspring of God, the offspring of Abraham, the offspring that God commissioned to bless the world by His very presence, has redeemed and rescued us and saved us and grafted us in to the kingdom of God that we would know Him and rejoice because the Spirit of God walks with us. Oh, let's pray and give thanks to God for His goodness and His mercy as we remember Jesus' body broken for us and blood poured out for us.